Any of you ever have one of those days that starts off on a really weird foot? The people in Knoxville, Tennessee had one of those this week. They, they woke up Thursday morning to a, a bolo from the sheriff's office. You know what a bolo is? Be on the lookout. Wednesday night, a deputy had seen, of all things, walking through an industrial parking lot, a tiger. Boy, what a day. Bolo. You would want a bolo on a day like that. You'd want to know if a tiger was lurking around Prescott Valley, would you not? As we get to the end of 1 Peter here, Peter's going to give a, a bolo to the church of God. A be on the lookout. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Here comes the bolo. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That's a bolo for the church in his day. It's a bolo for the church today. And you say, Scott, why'd you go back to those verses about humility? We talked about those last week. Why don't you just start with the, the be sober-minded, be watchful, the devil prowls around, because they go together. Every piece of scripture you come to has a context. It's part of a, a paragraph, and that paragraph is part of a chapter, and that chapter is part of a book. It's good to know the context. And that combination of humility and warfare against Satan comes up frequently in scripture. You might say, what in the world does humility and warfare, what do they have to do with each other? In the spiritual battle, everything. Let, let me break down why. Why humility before he talks about warfare against Satan? Because pride is his forte. He is a master of pride. He's been wielding it for centuries and millennia. You don't want to go up against Satan on the battlefront of pride because you will lose. As one of my friends likes to put it, he, he's playing chess and in our own power, we're playing checkers. You don't want to go up against Satan in pride. It's his forte. Let me give you a couple examples. Isaiah 14. Many believe this refers to him at his fall out of heaven. Isaiah 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Many believe that refers to that moment in time when Lucifer the angel, in such a privileged and special position, decided it wasn't enough. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be higher than God. And God cast him out. Ezekiel 28 talks about the same thing. Verse 15, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created 
till unrighteousness was found in you. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You don't want to fight him with pride. That's his specialty. That's his forte. And in the martial arts world, if you know someone who is the world champion at karate, you don't want to fight him with karate. You might want to bring another discipline in there like jujitsu or capoeira or something. You don't want to fight the master in his specialty and pride is his specialty. So before I go on to talk about why humility and one more even important reason, I want to give three examples. You might say, what does it look like to fight Satan with pride? Because that's kind of a nebulous idea. I want to give you three specific examples. One is underestimating him. Okay, there are two dangers with Satan. One is to overestimate him and live in paralyzing fear of him. If you're a believer, you shouldn't be there. But the other is to underestimate him in pride. False teachers in the early church were doing that. They were speaking pompous things against Satan and the demons. I don't know if it was to impress the crowds they talked to or what, but if you ever hear a human person talking in prideful terms in their own glory over Satan, beware. Listen to these warnings. Even in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, He's talking about false teachers. He, he says, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Who are these glorious ones? These false teachers were blaspheming. I believe, and many believe, they're, they're Satan and his forces. Because it says, even the angels, though greater in might and power, do not do that. Even the angels don't operate in pride against Satan and his forces, okay? Jude, verse 8, same thing. In like manner, these people also, these false teachers, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, Reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Now, first thing that probably caught your ears, like, whoa, what's going on with Moses? Some kind of battle over his body between Michael the archangel and the satanic forces? Whoa, I want to find out more about that someday. But the, the point I'm getting at is even Michael did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but took it to the Almighty Lord and said, the Lord rebuke you. Don't underestimate him. Don't go up against him in your own power. You'll lose every time. Pride too, underestimating the weakening effect of unconfessed sin in our lives. Do not go head to head with Satan or his forces with unconfessed sin in your life. Listen to James chapter 4, 6 through 10. Same combo of humility and warfare. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We heard that in Peter last week. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And he goes on. What does this submission to God look like? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. What is He saying? We need to live lives of repentance. Humble repentance about our sin if we're going to win the battle against our enemy. Otherwise, you know what that sin does? I, I thought about wrestling. Why do, why do wrestlers wear such tight clothes? Like, it's almost painful to watch, right? <laughs> Sorry if you're a wrestler. Why do they wear such tight clothes? Is it to show off? It's hard to grab onto. There, there is little for the enemy to grab onto and twist them, flip them, hold them down, right? Sin gives the enemy all kinds of things to grab onto in our lives in that battle. You want to give them as little as possible to grab onto in your life. So before you go to battle, make sure you're living a life of humble repentance before God. Pride three. This one's the one we perhaps face the most often. Letting our pride get in the way with other people. Man, I was tempted to do this the other day. I was pulling out of a parking lot onto a four-lane highway where I had to turn left. And somebody in the parking lot behind me evidently didn't think I was going fast enough. And out of the parking lot went around me just as I was about to go and turned left. And then as I'm driving down the highway and I get up next to him, he's rolling down his window. Thank the Lord. I, I know better than to try to get killed on a Thursday afternoon, so I just grab my water bottle. And... <laughs> Boy, my pride was tempted. I was tempted to go off and not represent the Lord real well. Letting our pride get in the way with people. But what does Paul say in Romans 12, 19? Listen to this. Take it to heart. Individual Christians in your daily life, never take your own revenge Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What does that mean? If you run into somebody who's an enemy in your life as an individual Christian going through your life, you're tempted to take revenge, right? But what that does is it gets in the way of what God may be wanting to do in that person's life. If that person needs punishment or discipline, trust me, God's a whole lot better at it than you or I. You don't want to get in the way of that. If they need that, you leave it in His hands. You say, God, I trust you. I'm not going for revenge. I leave them in your hands. But even more than that, we know we have a God who is not willing that any should perish. Okay, and we are His witnesses here. Okay, that's why in the same chapter, Romans 12, 19, He goes on, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One more example, 2 Timothy 2.25 says, Opponents must be gently instructed. Why? In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. 
You correct them with pride or anger, you might goof up that process. You correct them gently, and you leave the door open for God to come in and point them to salvation. Now, a point of clarification. This is talking about the individual believer and his or her everyday life. I do not believe this speaks against self-defense if you need to defend yourself. There's a difference between self-defense and vengeance and revenge, right? It does not speak against those brave men and women in our armed forces, in our police forces, who rightfully wield the sword of God and authority to stand against evil. We are thankful for those individuals and stand behind them. This is talking about us as individual believers on a day-in, day-out basis. Listen to what Martin Luther King Jr. said, though. He said the ultimate weakness of of violence, especially when it gets to violence, if you're tempted that way, is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, I think about humility preparing the way for the Lord. You know who I think about in the Gospels? John the Baptist. He was sent as a messenger to prepare the way for the Lord, right? Mark 1, 2, the prophecy, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. What did John say about himself in relation to Jesus later on? Do you remember? What kind of man was John? Yes. Bill's favorite verse, he puts it on all his emails, John 3.30, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. You see the humility in, in his ministry, what he called for in people too. Verse 4, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It wasn't only his humility that prepared the way, it was people in the crowds needed to repent of their sin, to change their minds about him, pave the way to receive what Jesus was about to do. Now some of you say, well, humility, man, I don't want to be humble because it sounds so namby-pamby. We think humility, (laughs) seriously, we think it equals weak. And how can I be weak in this world? Let Let me tell you something about John the Baptist. You think he was weak? Let me tell you a couple of th- moments in his life where humility and boldness came together real clearly. Like when he was preaching to the crowds, he looked at the, the most powerful religious elite out there and called them snakes. <laughs> he told them to repent of their sin. The axe is at the root of the tree. It's about to be cut down. He told Roman soldiers what they needed to do to get right. Roman soldiers! And my favorite example, Herod, the king, had a wife that was not his own and humble John was bold enough to tell him about it. It cost him his head. So never tell me humility and boldness cannot go together. John modeled it. There was one who modeled it on an even higher plane. There is one who modeled it perfectly, Jesus Listen to the contrast of things that happened in the upper room. John 13, 2. 
during supper, when the devil, here's the battle, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. What would he do? The devil entered Judas to do his part. What would Jesus do? He, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. That's the way our, our master battled. In his humility... His obedience, his submission to the Father led him to a cross where in Colossians 2, Paul speaks of our debt of sin. And he says, this he set aside. God set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. In the humility of the cross, our Savior disarmed the prideful enemy. And I read that, I'm like, man, Satan does not have a clue how to combat humility. You know, the best thing about humility, the first thing I said is you don't want to fight the devil in his forte, but the more important thing is when we're humble, we invite the, the hand of the Almighty God to go to work against Satan in that situation. We invite God and His power to step in. And do what needs to be done. So let me ask you a question. What if our pride is the dam that keeps God from taking care of business in our lives as only He can? What if some of us need to lay some of that down today to open the way, to prepare the way for God to go to work? Whether it's to see Him be mighty to save in the life of that person who we consider an enemy. I'm going to stop being proud against Him. I'm going to be humble and pave the way for God to go to work in their lives. Or whether it's against Satan and the demonic forces themselves to, to be humble, cry out to God, repent of my sin, and open the doors for, for the Almighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords to come in and crack some satanic skulls. Yes. Humility paves the way. Our God is mighty to save and He's mighty to fight. Sometimes we just need to get out of the way with our pride. I think about Luke chapter 10. He sent 72 guys out and they did all this cool stuff and they came back and they were talking to Jesus about it. All the cool stuff they were able to do in His power. Luke 10, 17. They say the 70, it says the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. And He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Quite a promise. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are, are written in heaven. Well, even in that moment, with all that authority He had given them, He said, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in the grace of the Almighty God who has saved you. And, uh, and remember that. Never forget that. Let Him fight your battles through you. Don't get proud. Don't get proud. So that's the resistance. Now I want to talk to, to you about restoration. 
I, I hear that word restoration and I think of something that's been beaten down and it needs fixed up and built up again. Maybe some of us feel that way in this world. Verse 10, Peter says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I want to walk through those words. I talked about restore a little bit. Confirm. I, I hear that one. And I think, man, sometimes we wrestle with, with questions when we suffer. We, we struggle and confirm like I, I see the Lord helping us bolster our faith in those hard moments. Strengthen. Sometimes we feel weak. 2 Corinthians is a book full of human weakness. But what's Paul say? It's then that, that God goes to work in his strength, right? And establish you. I, someone who's established has got a, a good, sturdy place to put their feet. Maybe you feel like you're on slippery ground. He'll, he'll do all those things. To Him be the d- dominion forever and ever. Amen. And, and I hear those promises, and I was wrestling this week. Are those here on this side, or are those in eternity? And the answer I came to was, yes. <laughs> he does those things both here and in eternity, right? Paul talks about the, the here side. Listen to this if you're struggling, if you're discouraged. Maybe you're going through some health issues. 2 Corinthians 4.16, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Every day God is renewing His children. If we'll receive it. If we'll, we'll receive it in faith. Open His Word and... and and trust Him to do so, okay? But it's also an eternity. A couple of weeks ago, uh, a friend of ours whose father had just died in California, Jen, uh, came over to our house. She wanted to talk. And, and we sat in the backyard under the shade of the tree, and we were drinking pumpkin lattes from uh, Yellow Leaf Coffee, which... I don't know anybody there, but they're really good. They're made with real pumpkin. So local business push. Well, we're talking, and she's sharing about all the the just. She still she trusts the Lord. She's a believer, but the the pain of losing her dad, and and then she had another relative this week who ended up in the hospital here. And in the midst of all that, she said she wanted to learn some more about heaven. So we had given her a book called "The Glory of Heaven" by John MacArthur. and she said, man, this is so awesome. I, this is the, the, what we got coming is so amazing. And when, when she found out her relative here was in the hospital, you know what she said about heaven? She said, when I get there, I just want to take a nap. <laughs> and I love that. What's she saying, man? I can't wait for that day. And while I believe we're going to be doing things in the kingdom on the new heaven and the new earth, it's it's going to be a whole lot different than doing things down here. No more thorns and thistles. Even in our work, we will find the rest of the Lord. Listen to the beauty of the rest that's coming in Revelation 21.3. God will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
What a beautiful promise. So is it here or is it then? Yes. Yes, He's working in the lives of the believers. I want to give you a reminder. We, we called this series Stand Firm, not just because we thought that sounded cool. It came out of this verse. Verse 12, Peter says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. In other words, many believe Silvanus either helped Peter with the writing or brought the message to these churches. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. He's told us over and over in this book about Jesus, the purification in His blood and then how to walk in it. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. Why does He say that? Because He knows suffering has and will continue to come this side of heaven. Verse 13, she who is at Babylon. Most believe he's talking about the church there. In Rome, actually, not the ancient Babylon, because by this time it was crumbling. It may have been, but many believe Babylon was code word for the evil city of Rome. Because as you often see in the book of Revelation, many believe Rome is referred to as Babylon because of its sheer wickedness and hatred for the church. Many believe he, he used code language because of the persecution that was happening. In fact, a few years later, he would die at the hands of the emperor Nero. So the church at Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. The church here says, hey, and so does Mark, my son. What's cool about this? We don't believe this is his literal son. We believe this is a young man who wrote the gospel we know as Mark. And he wrote it as he listened to Peter teach him what happened. So if you ever want Peter's perspective on the, the years with Christ here, you know where you go? The book of Mark. In fact, after we get done with 2 Peter, that's what we're going to do. So we can hear his perspective on life with Jesus. And finally, don't get all excited about this one. Greet one another with the kiss of love. That's what they did in that day. I don't recommend it today. <laughs> Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace. Stand firm in this pilgrim world. And you know what's really cool about Peter strengthening people? Like when you think about the way he wrote this letter and told the church to stand firm. Do you remember the upper room? Before Peter had betrayed his Lord three times, denied him, Luke twenty two thirty one. 31, Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, Simon, his other name. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, that he might crush you and separate the good from the bad. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Satan did sift him. But he did turn again, and he strengthened the brothers and sisters, not only in his own generation, but he's strengthening us here today. And it all goes back to something Jesus predicted over him 2,000 years ago. That speaks of God's grace, His restoration, and His power. Wow, I love that. They so say, what are some of the highlights of this book? And as you go back, or maybe you want to review, all the podcasts are or on our website, you can go that route. You can just pull out your Bible and read the book again, but just, just real quick bullet style. Says, hey, you're elect exiles if you're believers here. 
There's a tug of war going on. Elect, you're chosen by God and you're His child, but you're in exile right now. You're a stranger in a foreign land. It's okay to admit that. We're pilgrims passing through. It's not always easy. You, you got a Savior that you haven't seen. Peter had seen Jesus, but most of these people, if maybe none of these people in these, this church had, had seen Him. You don't see Him, but you love Him. That describes many of you, does it not? You haven't seen Jesus, but you love Him. He talked about trials and treasures. Oh, you're going to have trials in this world, but keep your eyes on the treasure to come. Don't lose sight of that unfading inheritance when Jesus is revealed. Suffering now, glory later. Suffer with holiness, Bill hit us with, remember? Suffer with submission. Suffer and follow in Jesus' footsteps. He led the way. He showed us how it's done. In the meantime, he tells us how to live with the government, <laughs> how to live in your employment, <laughs> how to live in your marriage, and how to live in your church. He says, stand firm in the, the grace of God. Well, I was struck by something this week. I want to show you. I've got some visuals I'm going to put up here. I'm going to ask you to look at. And hopefully you can see them at home. If not, I'll be talking through them. But I was thinking about the downward spiral of sin. Jaden's going to walk us through. There's a verse in Proverbs that talks about the downward spiral of sin. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And I was unpacking five parts of this downward spiral of sin. Go with me through these. Jaden hit us with the first one. Instead of turning to God, they forgot Him. Okay, second. Instead of guarding against evil, they welcomed it. Third, instead of striving for national unity, they emphasized tribal distinctions. Fourth, instead of battling their enemies, they fought each other. Fifth, instead of following a leader, each did what was right in his own eyes. Now, many of you are saying, you've been reading the paper this week. No, you know what I was reading? The book of Judges. The book of Judges, but it sure does resonate, does it not? You read the book of Judges and you'll see all that. But then I got to thinking, what's the good news? Well, the good news is 1 Peter tells the church that in the power of Christ and the power of the Spirit, you can live a life that goes against every one of these. You can show the world what life with God should look like. Watch this. Instead of turning to God, they forgot Him. 1 Peter 1.8, Though you have not seen Jesus, you love Him. You may not have seen Him, but you have not forgotten Him. You know you have a Savior and Lord. Watch this. Instead of guarding against evil, they welcomed it. He tells the church, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Instead of striving for national unity, they emphasize tribal distinctions. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. What's he saying? You're not just some individual dude walking with God. You are part of a, a spiritual building with all these other stones in here. You're, you're part of a team. And you're not alone. Once you were not a people... But now you, you are God's people. You're in this together. Show the world what togetherness should look like. Okay? 
Instead of battling their enemies, they fought each other. Church, don't do it. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You want to fight? Here's who you fight. The devil prowls around. Resist him firm in your faith. Do not fight each other. Finally, instead of following a leader, each did what was right in his own eyes. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We're not doing what was right in our own eyes. At least we're not supposed to be. We're supposed to entrust our souls to a faithful creator and do good even while we walk through this suffering world. That's the the first Peter plan. But you know what? I'd be remiss if I encouraged you to go out there and try to do that on your own. That'd be a recipe for failure. Maybe you've tried that. This is only possible through Jesus Christ. That's why look at this verse. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You want to overcome the, the, the path to death, you come to Jesus, that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and watch Him go to work. You know how awesome that is? Many of you do. You remember that moment you came to Christ? This week we got a message from from someone in this church that many of us know who said it was her spiritual birthday about seven years ago. And it brought back all kinds of memories. And here's what she wrote. She said, hey everyone, just wanted to share that today's my birthday in Christ, four exclamation points. And I'm not sharing for my boasting, but for His glory alone. And the fact that we even get to be part of this life-altering opportunity She said, I wanted to share it with you all because I know you were all praying for me even when you didn't know me. I remember like it was yesterday. There I was sobbing into my Alfonso's burrito, (laughs) thanking a God I didn't even know. (laughs) Daniel said, I trust your burrito didn't get soggy. (laughs) And she said, I don't even remember eating the burrito. But my favorite part of the whole message, she said, I was able to sleep that night for the first time in months and woke up the next morning feeling more love than I've ever experienced in my life. Best memory ever. (laughs) Have you had that moment with Jesus? You turn to Him in faith. Another big theme in this book that I see is watching and waiting in hope. Peter experienced Jesus' first coming Oh, but he was looking forward to that second one. Many call call him the apostle of hope because in this little book, the word hope comes up five times. And remember we said hope is like faith on tiptoes, kind of looking to the future for God's promises, right? Let me give you one example. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope on that moment where He's revealed and you see Him. Let me ask you, if you're a believer, are you watching and waiting 
for the second coming of the King of kings and Lord of lords? Peter himself in his uh, message on Pentecost, downtown Jerusalem, the day 3,000 people got saved. One thing he said in Acts 2.19, quoting from Joel in the Old Testament, God speaks, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now I got to tell you, that verse came to mind this week when I was just reading the news. You know why? CNN and many other networks put out a news story that the moon is rusting and they put out an enhanced, this is an enhanced image, okay? But look at that, okay? And, and this discovery surprised scientists that the moon would rust because listen to what Wikipedia says about rust. It's an iron oxide, a usually reddish-brown oxide formed by the reaction of iron and oxygen in the presence of water or air moisture. And the moon <laughs> is not known for its oxygen. They have a hypothesis that it came there from Earth. However it got there, it caught my attention in light of this verse where, where it says the, the moon shall turn to blood. The sun shall be turned to darkness. I don't know exactly what that will be, but I told Carolyn the other day, it's been weird with all these fires. Have you been out there and you see the sun in the sky? The whole circle of it, and you can stare right at it. How many times have you been able to do that in your life? And I started to think that in the end, you look at Revelation, much of the earth is going to burn. And if there are large amounts of smoke going up into the air, is that what it's talking about? And then this morning, let me show you the headline I woke up to. In California, the sun never rose on Wednesday. Now listen to what the author said. Wednesday, it was as if the sun never rose. Dawn was murky, and by 8 a.m. it seemed to get darker. A smoldering reddish-bronze haze rose around us, but also made no light. Inside the house, we relit our lamps. These things caught my attention. Now, disclaimer, I do not profess to know all the details, okay? I admit, I, I'm not sure these examples that are happening this week are what God had in mind with those prophecies. But why did Jesus share signs? Why did the prophets share signs? Was it so we could make really cool charts and argue with each other about when the tribulation and the rapture and the millennium happened? No, it's good to, to know what you believe about those things. He shared signs so that we would be expectant. Yes. That we would be a people who are watching Absolutely. and waiting for His imminent return. And in light of that, that we would live our lives on purpose, with an urgency, with readiness. Because we don't know if he will come back years from now or before this service is over. Listen to what Jesus himself said about the last times. Luke 21, 34, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. You know what dissipation is? It's squandering. 
usually through sinful living, is squandering your life away. Don't let your life be weighed down with squandering it away and drunkenness and and cares of this life. As if it is, then that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. That day will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake. It doesn't just mean physically. It means alert. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What's the most important thing we need to do to get ready? Well, after Peter shared those signs in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, verse 21 says this, He said, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called upon the name of Jesus Christ? Have you called upon His name? I am watching and waiting, eager for the Lord to come back. Are you? (laughs) Maranatha, as they say, come, Lord Jesus. One important idea that that is absent too often today is the idea of repentance. I shared the the downward spiral of sin in the book of Judges. If you know your Bible, you know that there were times where they cried out to the Lord and He helped. Right? It was a cycle. But Judges 10, I want to share one thing that happened. They were being oppressed again. Judges 10, 13, they cry out to God and God says to them, You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And then God became impatient over the misery of Israel. And then He went to work to save them from the Ammonites through Jephthah. You see, it's one thing to, with our lips, cry out for help to God. A whole other thing to turn away from the foreign gods that we have raised above Him. We sing and say, God bless America a lot, and He has. And I pray He continues to. But what about America, bless God? What about America, repent of your sin? What about America, trust Him again and obey Him? And it's one thing to say that about America... But I like the Casting Crown song that says to the church, it starts right here. Listen to their lyrics. We're the people who are called by His name. If we'll surrender all our pride and turn from our ways, He will hear from heaven and forgive our sin. He will heal our land. But it starts right here. The church needs to be a place where we repent when God convicts us of the sin and wickedness and gods that we've raised above Him. It's only then that we become this lighthouse that shows the world what hope and and life and safety for eternity looks like with all these waves 
crashing around us. So stand firm. Be that lighthouse. Just know it, it starts with repentance often. And it starts right here. 1 Peter 2.12, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Amen. Lord, thank You for our time in this book. We may leave it behind on Sunday mornings, but I pray we don't leave it behind in our lives. And I'm so thankful there's a sequel we get to start next week, Second Peter. I pray your people in this room would dive into that book this week and read those three chapters and, and begin to listen to you, what you would have to say to us as individuals and as a church. Help us to stand firm in hope in the return of our coming Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.